Welcome to Stay in the Loop with Lucy. This morning, I am talking to Cynthia, a psychologist working in private practice, who's written three books on how to make life simpler to live. Um, One of them is called The Really Big Questions and Talking to Children About Life. And I think your first book was Return to Soul, the Making the Ancient Wisdom of the Soul Accessible for Real Everyday Life. But the one that's really... um, Uh, brought you and me together today is a handbook for being human. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Thanks for the invitation. One of the last audios that we did on Stay in the Loop with Lucy was about death and dying. And actually, Mm -hmm. I got a lot of feedback about the, the potential to die well and to actually choose how you die and to choose how you start that passing over prospect but the the bit that I felt would be the next episode after that was about how to live you know how to live without reacting to something terrible happening in our lives and then saying right I'm now going to I'm not going to hold back I'm I'm going to go on those travels I'm going to take that job I'm going to even apply for that job whatever it may be you know don't wait for those big moments but then I'm going to give you my whole my whole <laughs> thing for the setup here. Um, I, I I really did feel that when you grow up, it is a scary world to grow up into. So it feels quite normal to be brought up to be afraid of the buffeting that you can feel from life, the the radio, the the television, social media, our friends, our family we are almost living in the threat of the fear of this tornado happening to us, either from the right side or the left side. Your books made me really appreciate that there is a way to sit in the middle of a tornado, to to actually approach life without being buffeted by those storms, whether they come from the left or the right or, you know, from where we expect them or don't expect them, that there is, that we could look at nature and the anatomy of a tornado and recognise that it might be reflecting to us a place where we don't have to bumble through lives, but we could feel a connect in this inside that again was mentioned in this this uh, death and dying episode that we've done before, that there is an inner space that is actually one where we can um, feel more settled and less reactive to what goes on around us. And I'd love to start the conversation with you there. How did you even come to write the book and talk about that inner space? Well, I think in a sense it's a book I have always wanted to write because from when I was young, like 12 years old, I was looking at the world going, whoa, this place is crazy. How on earth do we navigate this? And I remember reading a book, um, I think it was called Man's Search for Meaning, and it was about a, a man living in a concentration camp. And he noticed that how people dealt with the circumstances of the concentration camp, which would have been super extreme, how they dealt with it depended on their own inner state and their own inner attitude. And he realised that 
you could have a defensive attacking attitude and that would mean you might turn on your the other prisoners so that you could align with the guards and maybe get you know some treats a little bit better treatment or he noticed some people completely gave up because it was like this is too much can't deal with it they got sick and died more quickly Mm. For him, he realised what he got to was that if I can cultivate a sense of love within me, a sense of how much I still love my wife, even though I can't be with her, that connection to that love enabled him to get through and survive intact the circumstances that were pretty much as they, <laughs> extreme as they can get on this planet. So that made me realise there is a way where you can still be free even within dreadful circumstances. And then when COVID came along, I was having lots of clients coming to me who were actually waking up to the fact that, wow, life can throw you some really difficult stuff on a worldwide level. Everybody on the planet is going through this at the same time. Wow, how do we survive this? How do we manage this? So it was a really important waking up time for people. And the book felt like, here's some suggestions for how to navigate these circumstances in life. And I think for people in Australia, we had just been through really severe bushfires and bam, then came, then came COVID. COVID hasn't even finished and now there's a war. Plus there's always been underlying the ecological, um, what's called global warming situation and people are you know, really starting to feel the effects of that too. So there's so much going on. People really need a way to find a free space, like you said, the eye of the tornado, in order to be able to manage all of that. And I love that it's a handbook. I mean, we have a handbook for working <laughs> in the microwave. No one gets <laughs> We have a handbook for having a baby. But actually, this is a handbook for being human. And, we're, and then we take that humanness but from the center of that into everything that we do. So it's an incredibly practical way to recognize how we get pulled out of that center into the world. And I love the, the, how, how you came to, to see it from what you, how you get through really extreme things that happen to you in your life. Because as you were sharing that, I was just cast to different people that I've seen experience very traumatic things in their lives and and how they've handled it and those who have um I kind of want to use the word thrived but it's deepened mm -hmm. have have not not experienced what they've experienced but they haven't let it dictate the rest of their lives yeah it hasn't crushed them yeah yeah or, and also it hasn't made them feel uh, bitter or resentful or depressed that that's gone on. And, that, and that's really important because things are going to happen in life. You've got, you know, maybe 80 years. Within that 80 years, some things are going to happen. That's, that's life and that's okay. But to get through that without getting bitter, resentful, depressed or anxious, that, that's the key to being able to manage that. And I'm really concerned that um, that's why I said handbook for being human, because we don't teach kids how to be human. Like we, we teach their minds, like add up one plus one equals two. Sure, you can do that. Maybe how to construct a sentence, but how to be human, how to manage your own emotional states, and then how to manage connecting with other human beings in relationships of various sorts. Where's the training in that? And to me, I think that's pretty crazy because. 
those those fundamental skills are needed for living for every human being and that's why I wrote the book because we need some tips on how to do this. <laughs> we do. May I ask as things you brought up that that sort of growing up process? Do we learn from our parents, or and are we influenced in how our parents have how our parents navigate relationships? So whether they are um, shouty people or withdrawal people. Um, direct or you know um, slightly sly in terms of their manipulation to get you to do whatever they need you to do do we learn that um, as a way of either deciding we are going to react to that and do the opposite or we are we you know whichever way it is and then do do we then actually go to school and what get triggered and re-triggered by our friends and that's why we end up in teenage years being so up and down as we learn, you know, how do I want to be in a relationship? Yes, we totally learn from our parents. It's like we're just little sponges when we're young, unless we're, you know, deeply contemplating, which most young kids aren't. You will just be picking up the patterns from your parents. And it can be really interesting when I see couples later on in life come to sessions. <laughs> Sometimes one couple will be, like you said, the more shouty type, and they take that for granted. That's just what we do in our family. That's our culture. And someone else will be a little bit more of an uptight Anglo where you don't speak about things, things are kept under the carpet. And so when one person visits the other family, they're like, oh, my God, these people are insane. Everything just gets shouted about. This is terrifying. How do I navigate this? Yeah. And then the partner going to the other family is like, oh, got to be on my best behaviour. We don't talk about anything. Shh, shh, let's all keep it quiet, yeah. which is all fine. But except when they then want to have discussions, that can be uh, potentially disastrous because it's like culture clash. Yeah. But then as you asked, then when we start to go to high school and have to manage relationships, we will fall back on our, our patterns and sometimes that doesn't go well. <laughs> And we get reactive with other people, we go into drama and you have all the stuff that goes on for teenagers and they go into drama or then they go into withdrawal and shutdown, then they're into anger again and hormones aren't helping any of that because no. that's exacerbating the whole thing. Yeah. But a lot of what's going on, of course, is oh, how do I be a human being? What sort of identity do I want to have? How am I going to construct this? Am I going to be a goth? Am I going to be an emo? Am I going to be, you know, oh, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit out of touch, but... There's a whole lot of identities that you can yeah. take on in teenagerhood, which was bad enough when I was growing up, but now. Oh. Well, now you've got it's a whole tough. social media world to choose That's what kind right. of it's tough group to you want to fit into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's, um, so in a way, what I see is that people get triggered by their friends, but they're actually projecting onto their friends how they think they will Re react or respond or reply to you know their behavior based on what maybe they've done in the past um can you speak a little bit to to that yeah because I do work with um people in their young 20s so they're just out of teenagerhood and they're looking back on their teenagerhood and going oh my goodness that was a nightmare because um it's actually a very competitive space teenagerhood everyone needs to feel like um they're, they're accepted, that they're popular, that they're in the in-group and that how they're presenting is going to be accepted by everybody else. And so they'll be 
projecting that someone is disagreeing with them, not liking them, thinking that how they are is not good enough or how they are is stupid. And so they can get quite depressed about that or they can get reactive uh, about that and try and, in a sense, they could become bullies or um, forcing their viewpoints or constructing a self that's just a million miles from who they really are, which is anxiety-provoking and exhausting. And that just goes on constantly through high school and, yeah, just messes kids up until later on they start to look back and go, I don't actually have to be this, this way in order to make someone like me. I am free to go, who I am is okay. It's okay already. And to start to just be that. But that takes some learning and some unlearning, if you like, to be able to do that. I feel that um, that can happen, that the, the unlearning can only start to happen sometimes when we hit that menopause level where those hormones that were, you know, that were all a mess in our teenage years, we kind of learned some really uh, toxic patterns that keep us safe. And it's only when we, uh, you know, go through many cycles to get to our 50s, where I would put forward that the menopause happens, and the menopause happens. And it basically you you get that, that those hormones again, and you go, hold on a second, what have I been doing all my life? And then you get those big life changes. Definitely, menopause is that absolutely, and that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. And I speak about that a lot with people. But I would not want to give the impression that you've got to wait till you have another hormone turmoil. Because I'm seeing people, like I said, in their twenties, yeah. and they're already choosing to do this work. So it's actually a matter of choice. You can do this waking up, reassessing, and rearranging. At any age, any age, which Amazing. is amazing. Cool. Yeah. yeah space at any time, you could take that challenge up. So is it is it um, how prepared are you to be honest about the unsettlement that you feel, the kind of dis the, the kind of just don't feel quite right? And and when you're prepared to go, all right, I'm taking the lid off this and I'm having a look. Yeah, and I feel that's what happened with COVID because it was very uncomfortable for pretty much everybody, especially people in an extended lockdown, that people started to go, I am actually uncomfortable and I can talk about it now because other people are talking about it too. Like you said, the lid was lifted and it was okay to talk about the challenges that you were going through. And look, I had a huge wave of people coming to see me going, I am uncomfortable. And actually, if I face the truth, I have been for quite a while. Mm. It's just now it's got a little bit worse. So I'm prepared to take a look at it. Mm. So more people are, are a little bit more honest with themselves and with chosen friends about the fact that they are feeling uncomfortable, which is wonderful. Because like you said, it's, it's starting to realise and acknowledge that you are uncomfortable, that leads to the next step of, okay, is there something I can do about it? And there certainly is. Yeah. So what you were saying there is the, 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 the moment of realisation comes after a lot of tension that they've just managed and dealt with. So that, that moment in this situation was COVID, but it could easily have been a diagnosis of cancer or diabetes or um, a car crash, or a bicycle accident, or um, relationship breakdowns. Relationship breakdowns, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and people often say to me, oh gosh, your job must be difficult because people come to see you in difficult states 
and in difficult times. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, it's actually gorgeous. It's a beautiful, amazingly full of potential time because, yes, people have gone through something difficult, but from that and through that, there's an opening for them to inquire and start to shift things around internally. And they often would not have done that if they hadn't have gone through that difficult time. So I'm sort of, yeah, for difficult times, there's a, yeah. <laughs> there's a really good side to that. Absolutely. And yet we are programmed to fear them and to live in protection from these difficult moments. Wow. Yeah, totally. We're, we're taught that, well, one, the fantasy is, we will never have difficult times. If we can control everything as much as we can, we will avoid and dodge all those difficult times. So that's the fantasy life that we're supposed to have. Uh, and then we're taught that um, control everything so that you, you totally manage the difficult times because difficult times are supposedly bad. But if you get that no difficult times are an opening for bringing through more potential, then they're not bad. Sure, it's a challenge, definitely. I would absolutely acknowledge that. But it's a, an opening for something more if you want to use it for that. So that tension we feel in relationship when you're at family, you know, you're in a family and you kind of think, oh, it's getting a little bit tense. We run away from that conversation. Mm, but actually, mm. if we all said this is really uncomfortable, what's going on? Uh, and everybody but does everybody have to be open to that conversation at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted your whole family to transform, yeah. then yes. But you are completely free to transform within yourself mm. despite your family staying the same. And, that, and that's the beauty of this inner transformation. It's not determined by external circumstances, whether that's your family, whether that's the world in general, you're free to transform anyway because on family politics and family culture is pretty pretty set mm. so you can't count on them wanting to change but that's okay you still can and that is where that whole conversation about reaction comes in isn't it so when you choose to change don't react to someone else being unhappy about that inner search that you're that you're doing the going inward but equally, don't be surprised if they go, well, hold on a second. You told me you were a goth and now you're not. Like what's with all this color? Why are you putting, you know, pinks and blues on? We wear black. Absolutely. Yeah. Because um, you might be wanting to change and other people have got used to you being this very certain way. And it's, it's number one, maybe destabilizing for them. And two, a little bit at least unconsciously, challenging for them because they could be changing as well. And if they're not, it's a little bit of a challenge. And so they might react back to you to try and get you to go back to your goth box, even though you've stepped out of that box. So we need to accept that it's okay that people don't change when we change and it's okay that they don't change at the same pace as us. That's all right. Part of learning how to do human well is learning to accept people as they are and accept the world as it is when you get that that's like whoa <laughs> that's enlightened <laughs> yeah because actually if we go back to your example of the concentration camp right at the beginning mm -hmm. it would be really easy to feel that oh well I, please don't get me wrong when I say this it would be easy to accept that you have that love in you but then 
I can imagine it'd be super hard not to judge everybody else, particularly the ones that sell out or the ones that give up. You know, you can sit in judgment from that place of, oh, I have enlightenment now. I am, you know, love and light in my inside. But then you have all this projected judgment going out to everybody else. That to me doesn't feel very love and light. Absolutely. And that's not, that is absolutely not part of this because part of this um, self-inquiry that goes on absolutely needs to lead to acceptance where you have a a compassion for other people, where you start to inquire, yes, into your um, reasons for doing things, but then into why someone else might be responding or reacting as they they are doing. And and that's a compassionate response we need to cultivate, where you think about, well, why, why might someone give in so quickly? Or why might someone be so angry so quickly? We start to understand other human beings more and give them the space to respond or react as they're doing because that's their choice. They're allowed to. In practical terms, what might that self-inquiry look like? So um, I guess, um, you know, do we? is it worth looking at a particular time of day where you can start to just create space for yourself to be able to inquire? And what kind of questions might you ask? Yeah, it's great to make the time in the day where you get to have a little ponder moment because too much in the way we live is often just next, 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 just go, go, go. People are living in so much stress and anxiety because the pace at which they're living and the demands of life. So in amongst that, if you can, and sometimes it's a big ask, but if you can, just make five minutes where, in a sense, you're stepping out of life and taking a look back at it. And where you start to ponder, okay, so one of the questions might be, what did I react to today? And it might be that, okay, well, I got angry at that person. And so you start to notice, well, I got triggered and angry by that person. How come? What was going on that got me angry? And you're just starting to ask self-inquiring questions. And then when you realise, okay, well, I got angry because I felt like I was being criticised. And the the more you start to do this daily self-inquiry, you might start to get a sense of, wow, I actually react a lot to being criticised or what I think is being criticised. And you might start to realise, oh, I'm really tense and touchy about being criticised. And then you start to go, okay, well, where did that come for me? Oh, that was my dad. He was constantly criticising me or whatever it is that you realise in your life, you start to realise, wow, I'm triggered because way, way back in my history, I was getting that criticism and I was hurt by that criticism. And so it means I've got a big button on me now and someone presses the criticism button, boom, I go off. I either get angry or I get hurt, whatever it is. That's our trigger and we go into reaction. Amazing. And I, I love that I didn't hear any self-bashing there. Like that, that, that button, that, that should not be any part of this. No, there's no need for self-bashing because it's really just, like I use the word compassion, it's about understanding, a gentle, kind understanding of yourself. So you're just looking back and going, oh, I can get why I react like that. Oh, that all makes sense now. It's just an understanding. It's a, a gentle way and a caring way that you start to look at yourself. It feels like wonder, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the innocence and childlike wonder, oh, I wonder why. And yeah. That's yeah. what you bring through. And actually, I think I'll probably try and 
feel your voice as I do it for myself. Just go, oh, yeah, well, I wonder why that and wonder why that. And then there's no blame on the person that has triggered that in you. So, for example, in your example, that was the father that used to criticize me. Well, let's not blame dad. Let's just yeah, go, yeah. hold on a second. Why am I still holding on to that 25 years later? I, yeah, maybe yeah. I need to actually let go of that. Yeah. Easier said than done, potentially, but absolutely. That's the, the inner work you were doing because you'd be doing the wonder why to him too. Yeah. So you're going, I wonder why I react. Then you go, well, I wonder why dad was like that. And then you go back and go, well, maybe he got bullied a bit in his family. Yeah. The, you know, you take it back. The stuff that happened in the previous generations was yeah. was full on. So you can completely understand why he was like that. And then you can also do that to the people who are pushing your button now, currently. Yeah. You go, well, why would that person be a bully? What happened to them that made them so insecure that they have to do bullying-type behaviour? So, again, you're not judging them or criticising them. Again, like you said, it's just the, I wonder why they're like that. It's such a, an open, inquiring, kind question to ask. No blame, no judgment, just wonder. How do you get yourself out of relationships? Oh, this could be a really big question. I'm going to apologise, Cynthia. <laughs> um, when you clock that you are actually um, in a relationship that friendship-wise or, or, or romantic relationship-wise that is actually not healthy for you. You know, you're, you might have been um, withdrawing, allowing that other person to behave in a really aggressive way towards you, um, or they just plain take license to behave in a really aggressive way towards you. And, you know, we call that bullying or, um, or other forms of abuse. How do you get yourself out of that while still feeling that level of compassion for them and not, not harming yourself or going into a spiral about it? So first thing I'd say is first you want to make sure that it is actually bullying because I see a lot of couples where one person might be accusing the other of being a bully, but it might be that they came from a very shut-down family and no one ever spoke up and said things straight. So a straight talker can seem like a bully to someone who's very passive. Mm. So I would say first step before saying you are a bully and I'm leaving you, you've got to go, okay, well, I've got to develop the capacity within myself to be able to look after myself and then be able to speak up to myself and be able to have a dialogue with someone else. And I've, I've had couples who've worked through that sort of process and found that, oh, we can actually do this. And the passive person is no longer feeling bullied because they're getting used to speaking up for themselves. And the person who's a little bit more of a straight talker is getting used to just moderating their tone and being a little bit more gentle in how they deliver. Both are learning and winning from going through that process together. That's so that can be possible. Yeah, that's, that can be great. Um, however, I, I absolutely do not want to minimise abuse if that is actually what is happening. But first you've got to question and inquire, is that mm. what's happening? And try, um, it, it's a, like a, an experiment where if I speak up a little bit more and I put this stuff on the table, what happens? If you find that it's bad, that the person absolutely will not discuss with you, negotiate with you, work with you, 
then okay, then it's time to think about how you would want to extract yourself from that relationship. Mm. But first, try the new you, see how that goes. Can I ask if things like, um, you know, to start those those initial conversations, you might say something uh, like, um, I, I feel like I don't actually have a say in this decision. Is it a discussion or is the decision made? So you're asking a direct question to find out if there is an opening. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that can be a little bit scary to start with if you're not used to speaking up. But, um, and I'd recommend that you get a therapist or a counsellor or someone to support you with that so that you've got someone where you can debrief with. But yes, that would be the first question. It's like, hey, this is, is up for discussion, isn't it? Like we are a team here and I just want to make sure that it's okay that we're talking about this and that both of our opinions and ideas are, are valuable and worthwhile. And you see what response you get from that. But just speaking up like that is huge. And that's a, a total breakthrough when you can do that if you haven't done that previously. So well done if you do. Even if it doesn't go well, the fact that you did it, that's amazing. Yeah, because actually what you've brought and you've shown is that the withdrawal of not speaking up is a reaction as much as the person who does speak up is a reaction. You, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... In a sense, too often we call reaction the people that are doing loud, obvious reactions, like getting shouty or telling someone off. That type of stuff is called reaction. But like you said, it's just as much reactive to do the withholding and withdrawal, like silent treatment. That is so violent. That's actually violent, doing silent treatment. But it's not shouting or anything, not obvious bullying, but it's very controlling. But it's done very, very quietly. Like most people know about passive-aggressive behaviour these days. It's where you're saying something subtly or not saying something. That stuff is just, can be just as brutal. And so, yeah, either reacting outwardly and loudly or reacting quietly and in a withdrawn way, both are reactions. Very powerful, that silent treatment. Um, oh. I, you know, in, in school, I think they have this cancer culture, sorry, cancel culture now which is hideous, which is yeah. basically the, the mass of people saying no to someone and they can do it for all sorts of different reasons. And some of them, you know, they feel are entirely justified based on human decency or, or respect or, or what they, you know, what they would say was abusive behavior. But the way they're doing it is so... Um, aggressive that actually what they're fostering in the other person is even more aggression or more more reaction that means that they are not going to learn from what they did it's actually embedding the justification and they then become a victim of something as opposed to actually taking responsibility for what they've done yes yeah yep that's and that silent treatment can be just amazing i've heard stories from clients where they've had parents where one member or both didn't speak to them for a week or I've even heard stories of months, literally months where parents are not speaking to themselves, which is just a, a horrendous environment yeah. for children to be brought up in. And they learned that, wow, violence is actually very quiet and very silent, but, oh, just awful. And then, yes, there's, there's the cancel culture um, environment that you're talking about 
where again people can be silenced because there's agreed upon uh, narratives and beliefs and opinions that we're supposed to have and if you don't have those if you don't exist within that box then you've been silenced which is like you're saying another form of bullying because we do need to listen to you know various opinions and demanding that someone not speak can be you know quite a violent thing to do it's fascinating I mean I just keep seeing both sides how we can do how you know in the home as you say that can teach you that if you behave badly you will be um ignored Mm. um and then that gets confirmed at school yeah definitely yeah if you're in the out group you're ignored (laughs) wow you mean it makes sense how then when you get to your 20s you go oh some I I need to deal with this I can't I can't go through my life with this yeah you go into maybe a party scene or a, a coping strategy that is able to numb it for a little bit like you know yeah a lot of people in their 20s will either wake up and look at stuff or go into that distraction type of thing so you can use partying as a great way to um just avoid the whole thing because it's Mm. all too much or you can go i'm going to be a super career person and you just head down bum up and off you go working really hard and no time to think or feel or ponder things so coming back to your book um Handbook for being human, letting go of emotional patterns and stepping into purpose and power. That's a, it's a very actually positive title. It's saying, you know, we don't have to be dominated by those patterns of behavior that we have had. And um, I I suspect that it re imprints the word purpose and power because power, as we've spoken about here, could be such an abuse of another person. Whereas you know, if, if what you're saying is if we move away from some of these things, we lose the potential to step into our own power. Could Yeah, absolutely. I have a chapter on power because the word power in our culture or on the planet really has been <laughs> totally abused. It's We use it to talk about um, power over someone else and being able to do something to someone else and make someone or multiple people do or say or think what you want them to do or say or think. And that's our notion of power when that's not power, that's bullying. True power is actually, in a sense, a very personal thing where it's about you have the freedom to express and be and bring forth all that you are because we're all amazing inside. We've got all this conditioning around that can block that and minimise it. But when you really get to connect with who you are inside, that is amazing. And power is bringing that forth so that you're not stopped by someone's opinion about you. You're not stopped by someone saying, hey, we shouldn't be like that. We should be like this. You're free to go, this is who I am and this is how I'm expressing it. And this is valuable. Like you stand by yourself. That is powerful. And the world that sets up standards and ways of being to be able to go, no, this is me, this is how I express and this is how I contribute, that's actually very powerful. And powerful is also, like I use the word contribution, powerful is about the contribution that you bring forth to other human beings. That is really powerful. So question on that, if everybody is feeling their power and what they bring to the world, does it make for a world that is about me, me, me? 
or does it make for a world that actually is more connected and conducive to working together? Are oh, totally more connected because when you connect with like the true you inside, that is also naturally connected with everyone else. Like you could use the word like a collective unconscious, if you like, that we're all connected at a deep level, at a way where our mind can't understand it really, but underneath there is a deep connection. And so when you bring forth what's inside you from you know underneath, that will naturally be tuned into what is needed for other human beings, what is needed for the collective. And so that will be a contribution that doesn't block someone else's contribution, that is not just for yourself, that it's actually for everyone else as well. So, yes, you'll be being amazing, but not at the expense of someone else and not more than someone else. It's with someone else, for someone else. It's an and. It's not either or, it's and. Both are flourishing, all are flourishing, not just you. And it's definitely not about me, me, me. No, and you can really see that after a, a big event like a flood or the fires. We came together as a community. We worked together. We, some people lost everything, and it wasn't about saying that no, uh, what it brings out is a connectedness of how there's a shared experience. But actually, we've got a shared experience of being human. So we could bring the connectedness we have in those moments of challenge actually to our normal day-to-day -day life if we stopped thinking small and actually felt big. Yeah, yeah. And I would say you don't, in a sense, have to think big because for some people that's like, well, that's a little bit too much. That's a bit scary. Mm. All you need to do, in a sense, is be going to your work but being this more loving, compassionate you, and you can just be quietly going about your business at work, but that will be making a difference because every, everyone you talk to, even if it's just one person at a time, you're speaking now from a different place. Mm. And that has a subtle influence on the work domain. And I've, I've had clients who've worked on that. They might be working in a bank where it's really cold, really impersonal, but to their team, they bring that warmth and that compassion and that starts to make a difference to the team where people start to collaborate more and work with each other more, be kinder to each other. That's, that's huge. But it's not big, well, you know, change the world, except it is at a very subtle level underneath. But you don't have to be big and important and making big obvious difference. I don't want people to think that. You can be making a, what seems like a small difference. It isn't. It's huge. But it's just done in your normal way at work but it's who you are that's making the difference. What an important clarification, because I, I don't know if it's the way I've been brought up, but I, I always think, you know, really big picture, and yet it's yeah. those subtle little yeah. things. It's a beautiful clarification. Thank you. And I, Yeah, it's just, you, I feel the world is going to change from the bottom up. Yeah. That it's going to be just us everyday people changing, like the culture of being human, that that'll eventually make the difference up to the uh, you know the corporations mm. and uh, the bureaucracy, everything else that we have to live with, it's going to come from us underneath. Going, no, 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 this doesn't suit us. We're human. Our institutions need to be human too. I feel there is color in that. So when yeah. you were talking about it, I could see the gray, and, and perhaps that's just the 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 fire that can 
ravage somewhere but the the color the the flowers the green the grass comes from the earth it comes from the bottom up and actually it doesn't get to the top of the mountain that might be looking down um it actually starts and says no this is what we want and i i feel your the connectedness of that person maybe going into a bank it's like the first flower that says to other people this is who we are we're not that cold separate way of being we're connected and just sparks love which yeah sparks yeah color, sparks absolutely yeah I'll have clients who come to me and say um I had someone this week who said um they were just shopping in Bunnings or something like that and there's this child walked by and just looked at them and just smiled and was just being a child and they were so deeply touched by that because they saw this beauty and sweetness untouched by the world yet and it just reminded them of what's actually the truth, the beauty and sweetness inside them. And they were deeply touched for the whole week. And that's just one child skipping by. So and I'm sure that if listeners like to have a ponder, I'm sure they'll remember a time where someone just smiled or was kind or surprisingly generous. And that really affects us like for the whole day, for the whole week. Even though around us there can be like, awful stuff going on that one lovely moment really makes a whole difference it just changes the whole slant and so that's so inspiring to know that because then we can be that one person for someone else and that'll make a difference to their day and to their week Cynthia there's no better place to end this interview than there you are amazing (laughs) thank you very much for all you bought I will put links so that people know how to get your books right right huge thank you and I I really I look forward to continuing the conversation at another time lovely thank you for the invitation Lucy